You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. We begin a new series entitled One Another. If you missed it in the first service, um, I was late getting up on stage for um, the welcome and uh, the worship band was giving me a hard time. And so I had to run up the steel and I jumped up on the stage and I did a flip. No, I, I did jump on the stage. I didn't do a flip. I thought about doing a flip. But right as my foot hit the stage and I thought flip, my other part of my brain said, you're not that young anymore. And so I didn't, but I did hit the stage. And so it reminded me of, we have this little thing in the pastor world called Pastor Follies or whatever you want to call it. And so as I was thinking about that, this moment, I was thinking about a guy who uh, this past week was deep in prayer. And, uh, you know, it was a very spiritual moment. And uh, he was deep, deep in prayer, had his hands raised. It was completely dark. You could see people were engaged with them. And I'll just give you a tip. If you're on stage and you're praying, keep your eyes open. And so he was into it. And forgot that he was on stage and ended up like falling off the stage. And so he closed his prayer with amen and I'm all right. <laughs> so when you're praying, keep your eyes open. If you're driving and praying or on stage and praying, keep them open. So anyway, life is fun, isn't it? We can take ourselves too seriously, even at church. And so, I mean, there's there's things about our faith that need to be serious, but together we can gather together and have fun. There should be, if there's a, a place that's joyful in town, this should be the place. And because we have, with everything going on, we have joy in Christ. And so this morning we're going to begin a series entitled One Another. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of what does it mean and what does it look like for us to be a church and uh, we're looking at the New Testament church in particular and these words called one another. There's several several passages that talk about one another. And so today we're going to be thinking about this idea of who we are to one another. And that if you think about the New Testament church early on, especially in Acts, that people were drawn to the church because of the way those people were living out their faith. The way that they did church together, the way they cared for each other, the way they shared, the way that they cooperated, the way that just the way that they did life. There was a light about them and it drew people to them to the point that people would willingly consider that, hey, this could cost me my life to become a part of this movement. And it's worth giving up my life to join this movement. Think about that. How many churches today would people willingly say it's worth giving up my life to join that church? Few. And so what does that mean for us today? And so that's what we're going to be digging into over the next few weeks is what are the characteristics and qualities of us as followers of Jesus that we do life so well together, even in the midst of the chaos, that we're such a lighthouse, that we're so different that the incense that we put off is one of like we want to be drawn to that. Even though it may cost me all of this because I know that family is going to care for me and do the things that are necessary for me so that I can know and grow in Christ. And I believe wholeheartedly that that's why people are running from the church 
is because the church has been known for a while, especially the American church, the Western church, for stabbing people in the back and holding things against them instead of coming together and saying the thing that unifies us. Let's not. There's a lot of things that divide us. But the most important thing that unifies us is the person of Jesus Christ. And so if we build our house and our life and our church around that, then the things that divide us, they're going to be there. And we're going to have those disagreements. But at the end of the day, at the end of the night, at the dinner table, we may agree to disagree on a lot of things. But Jesus, we agree on. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be digging into those things. And so one of the things that about the early church and about us that should be is that we are able to accept a significant and a shared responsibility, a significant and a shared responsibility to and for one another, that we share this responsibility to others and for one another. And so this is those moments of where we're standing back to back, where iron sharpens iron, where we can tell the truth in love, where we have a life group that we're doing community together and we can share the depths of our soul. We can clean out the closets of our house and know that there's people that are for us and aren't going to stab us. They're not going to judge us. They're going to walk in it with us. And maybe they've walked through a similar thing. Maybe not but that they're for us. And I can I tell you that that's what the world wants? I think that's the, the power of social media is that our lives have become so filtered that we want to be accepted for who we are. And so we kind of filter it so people will accept us. People want transparency. Even one of the new apps, be real, right? At that moment, be real. Like if you don't have makeup on, that's the picture. Because we're tired of pretending. It takes a lot of work to pretend and to put on the makeup and to do all the different things and thousands of photos and filter it just right in the hopes that we'll get three lights. And I think the church, I think the gospel is the answer to that. We only need one like. And that's Jesus. And so as a family, if we can just agree on the one like. We're going to be ahead of the game. So the first thing that scripture tells us that who we are to one another is a family. And listen, I understand not all of us have come from healthy families. Some of us have had a fun family because dysfunctional is a part of it. Fun's a big part of the center of it. And so, and all of us have some dysfunction in our families. No matter how healthy we are, there's some dysfunction. Let's agree to that. That's, we're human. Anytime there's a relationship outside of one person, another person comes in, there's going to be a disagreement. If you've ever dated or had a significant other friend or whatever, there's moments where you disagree. That's a part of family. But we find Unity together. And how do we find that? So, you know, here we have the filtered life and here's the family that they've taken hundreds of photos to look just like this. So they can put it on their little Christmas card and everybody can go, oh, they put it up on the fridge for a couple of weeks. And that's like, that's so great. But what you don't see is like the dad just lost his job. They're forty thousand dollars in credit card debt and mom and dad don't really like each other. The kids are smiling now, but most of the time they're crying. But they've but this is the life we see. And so that's kind of our current world. And then look, this family so together, they actually got all their kids in there at the beach. I mean, like, that's an accomplishment, right? And so we're excited about that. They've got all these little girls, and the dad's like, oh, my gosh, I've got five girls in my life. How exciting. 
He's like, I'm never going to get to watch a football game. You know what I mean? His life has is, is changed. And so, but, but that, and you think, oh, this little girl's a little cute. But the other three are like, hey, we didn't want another sister. Now who's the middle child? Now there's two middle children. And they're like, what in the world? The chaos of fun and family. And then these little siblings. Isn't that cute? I mean, uh, I mean, now, listen, if you've had a sibling, you know that that's like a love hug. But it's like a love hug. If you don't mess with me, I'm going to like finish it off with a pile driver type of a thing. I mean, that's the sibling love. And one of the things that was interesting about the New Testament church is they had redefined family in such a powerful way that the Greek and Roman ethical writings began to to look at and to research Christian families and begin to show what a true family could be like. And so some of the characteristics that they began to talk about in Greek and Roman ethical writings about family were, were that true siblings that are loving for each other and caring for other, begin to share resources. We still see this in other parts of the world where they have multiple floors to a house. And so you think, man, that family must be really wealthy. Well, no, actually, grandma and grandpa on the first floor, they built the house a long time ago. Then they happen to have some kids, and so the next generation is on the next floor, and then the next generation and the next generation. So they may have four, five, six stories to the house, and they build it along the way. It's cinder block. When they have money, they build it. And so if they don't have money to build it, guess what? They're all on the same floor. So they're sharing resources. Unity is a priority. When you get around the dinner table, you think after several generations that they're like, you know, I used to walk to school uphill both ways in the snow, barefoot, blindfold. I mean, you know, all those little things and all that stuff and priority of unity becomes important. Again, what is it that draws us together and unifies us as a family? And then also one of the things that they saw in families like that is that there's more of a spirit of cooperation, not competition. And I think we see this here in America for sure as a part of this idea of the American dream. And that if you see someone else that has a car or vehicle or a house or something that attracts your heart or whatever. And so we compete with each other. And so we're trying to keep up with the Joneses and keep up with the Smiths. And many places around the world, they literally are living hand to mouth. And so that idea of competing with other people over trivial things means nothing to them. And so what does it look like for us as a church family? To not compete either with other churches, but to compete with one another for certain things and to say we're here to cooperate for the kingdom of God. That a body, that a family is not competing with one another, but working together and uh, to find health in that. And then also forgiveness. You know, we're in an age, especially here, where we can, if we're not okay with our family and friends, we can pick up and go somewhere. Most of the world, they're in the same house. And some of us, we're in family situations where we're, there's, there's bitterness and all kinds of stuff because we haven't forgiven. But imagine every single day you get up and you look at the person that's hurt you or offended you or you've offended them and you've got to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you may be out in the fields with them. You're going to find a moment and a time to forgive because you have to. And so what does it look like as a church family to share resources and not compete and to find unity and to, to forgive one another and to, to prioritize unity? That our one thing, if we're divided on other things, the one thing that matters the most is who is Jesus to me and to the world? And that if we know the truth, who is Jesus, that truth will set us free. So what does that look like? So as a family 
for that. And so Jesus talks about family in Mark chapter 3. He says this. This is he's teaching, and his mother, it seems like his mother and his brothers have gathered around. This is the beginning of his ministry, and so they, they're um, kind of seeing some things that are happening, and they're kind of checking in. And so Jesus is teaching a crowd, probably at a house or something, and his brothers and sisters and mom show up. And so they ask the question, who's your family? And so Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look at all of you. These are my brothers, mothers and brothers. These are my family. You that are in this room here with me are part of my family. Anyone who does God's will is my brother, my sister, my mother. Now, again, think about throughout history, most of the places throughout the world to say yes to Jesus and to enter into faith, into a faith community means even today in many places around the world, you're going to lose your family, your biological family. And so Jesus is saying, I understand that when you say yes to me to become a disciple and a follower of me, most likely your biological mother, your father, your brothers and sisters are against me and against you. And so they will ostracize you. So your inheritance, everything that you thought was yours is now gone, but now you're joining a family that's going to treat you like a brother and sister and receive you into the family. We're going to share the resources. We're going to find unity. We're not going to compete. All those different things are a part of this new family in Christ. Because that's the reason that they're drawn to even make that decision. Yes, Jesus replied, I assure you. That everyone that has given up a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will now receive in return 100 fold. Now, listen, if I went on CNN and Fox Business or any of those deals and said, I can guarantee you a 100 percent return on your investment. You think I could get some money? Here's what Jesus is saying. Follow me and join this family and you'll receive 100 times return. Supposed to. What does it look like for us to love each other in that way that people are willing to leave a guaranteed inheritance to join a family like this? You're going to get more property along with what? Persecution. Ah. You may receive a hundred times, but with it, count the costs. Because you will be persecuted. In the world that comes, in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. It's an eternal gift that you have. But in Galatians chapter 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could adopt, so he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, some of you have been adopted and or have in the process of adoption. And it's a long process. It's an expensive process. And even in the day of Jesus, it's an expensive process and a unique process back then. So it was a little bit different than today. There's orphans and all that stuff. And those usually were not the ones that were adopted. Well, what happened usually is someone that was of high office and someone who had money, an official or something like that, and they did not have an heir to pass down their inheritance, their titles, and everything that came with their, with what they had gained, and so they wanted to be able to pass it on. And so they would find someone who had more than one son. So again, a part of that culture, the first son, the second son would receive inheritance. Any children after that would not receive any inheritance. Or if anything, it was very minuscule. So they were going to be on their own. So these men would see a family that maybe they had five or six sons, and he would approach the dad and say, can I adopt one of your sons and make him my own? 
Now, that seems like a bold ask, but at the same time, you're talking about a son that maybe there's a fifth or sixth son, and he didn't have anything to look forward to in reality. He was going to be poor, he's going to be broke, he's going to be a laborer, and all that stuff. And his other brothers are going to be having land, and he may even end up having to work for his own brother to survive. And so this offer to adopt his fifth or sixth son is actually an offer for a better life, to be redeemed out of a new life, which he could actually have been a slave and moved him to a new life. And now he has the rights and privileges and the finances and everything that comes with this official's name. And so the father would many times give over that child to this other man. And they would go to the courtroom and they would ask three times, Father, are you willing to give up your son to this man to have all the rights and privileges, to, to give up your name and your rights and privileges, to take on the rights and privileges of this one? Yes, I do. Do you receive this man, this young man, to receive the rights and privileges? Are you willing to pass on everything about your inheritance, your title, your name, your land, your future goes to him? Yes, I am. You've been bought out of. They do that three times, and then it's sealed with the judge's seal. And he would say to him, you are now adopted. Everything that you've been with his name, the rights and privileges and future of this man now belongs to you. You once had nothing. But now you have all. So you can hear the audience that Jesus is talking to. Of I want many were poor, many were slaves, many were broken, many were orphans. And to say I can be adopted. Jesus is saying my father sent me to adopt you. To redeem you, to bring you out. You now have my last name. The rights and privileges and everything that comes with my name is now yours. And because we're his children, God sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Daddy, Father. And so that as we lean into and understand what it means to be adopted by God the Father and the privileges and everything that means, there are moments where we may want to go back to the old house. But understand that if we leave the new to go to the old, we... Leave everything. And so the journey of the family and the heart to be able at some point be able to say, this is my daddy. This is my father. We are called to be a family, to be able to, to live together in harmony, to share our resources, to, to not compete, but to cooperate and to find unity in, in, in who Jesus is and who he is to us. And that together we can call out daddy, father. The next thing that the New Testament tells us is that we're not not just a family, but we're a building. And uh, the only thing that I can build is this little Lego house. Um, And even then, I need detailed instructions and help. And so if you ever need some help with construction, call me and I will have you call someone else. I'll give you names, okay? Um, Actually, I've got stuff at my house that I'm doing. And um, I am famous for starting a project and thinking I can do it and then looking at it and going, oh, Lord, I cannot do this. I have to call people to help me. And so here's the house. And so the next passage just talks about building and what does it look like for us to be a part of a growing and expanding building that we have. And it says you are coming to Christ. First Peter chapter two, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. So in the old days when they would build, they would have the cornerstone and it was perfect. It was shaped just right. And they'd even write, hey, founded and built and erected. And it was built by these guys at this time and these ladies at this time. And it was perfect. And everything else was built off of it. So if the cornerstone was crooked, if the cornerstone wasn't just right, the rest of the building is going to become in shambles at some point. But a 
perfect cornerstone set. And so here the scripture is talking about Jesus is our cornerstone. He is our foundation. When the storms of life come, the house will not shake because he's the foundation of the cornerstone. It's built correctly. And he is the cornerstone. He was rejected by the people, but he was chosen by God for that great honor. And you and I are what? The living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more is you are his holy priests. So I'm going to pull back the curtain just a little bit for us. That means that you are a place of worship. That the Spirit of God, when you said yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God, Spirit of the Son has taken residence with inside of you. Your old heart has been taken out and a new heart has been placed in. And the Spirit of God has taken residence. Hebrews tells us in a, in a little portion of our full inheritance of the Holy Spirit is here. So that's what we have to look forward to. If you think that in moments that you're like, man, I can sense and feel the closeness of God. That's just like a little portion of what it's going to be like to be in heaven. And so for now, we have a little bit of the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the other piece. The reason that's important is this. It's because you are holy priests. That means that you can talk directly to God. What happened whenever Jesus died on the cross in the temple, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And it was torn apart that we now have equal access to him. And so that because we have equal access, you are a priest when you say yes to Jesus. That you get to talk directly to him. And this is one of those points of contention that we have, or I have in particular, with the Catholic faith. Okay, And here's the reason. is because what there's being te- teaching is not scripture. They're teaching that they still you need to still go to someone to have them mediate on your behalf. New Testament teaches that is gone. That you are now the priest that you mediate. There's nothing that I can do on your behalf that Jesus hasn't already done. So a repetitive prayer, you coming to me, listen, I understand that I have a special calling and a vocation, and that is to teach you and guide you and help you along the way, but I'm not any holier. The spirit that resides with inside of me is the same spirit that resides inside of with you. And so what I want you to hear this morning is you have access to the same God, the same portion of God that I have. That you can study, that you can worship on a deep level, just like I pursue, you pursue the same God. And yes, we can have great conversations, but if I am not any different than you. Because here's the beautiful thing. The next part of the verse says, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, the way that you live your life and the things that you do, those are your spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God. So if you're a teacher, you're worshiping. Every time students walk into your classroom, that's an hour of worship. And the spirit of the living God is allowing you to teach. And you're sharing your faith through history. You're sharing your faith through math. You're sharing your faith. If you're a mechanic, every interaction with an engine and with other people, that's an act of worship. There are things that you're doing that you're gifted that no one else can do. That is your spiritual sacrifice. You are a priest in that Place. That's the beauty of the good news of Jesus. At one time, people had to come together at a temple to experience the presence of God. But when that temple veil was torn, God was saying, listen, I am not confined to places anymore. I know you've thought that, but I am not. You 
are a holy priest, a temple of the living God. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone himself is Jesus. We find unity in him. We are carefully joined together in him. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make redos. The reason that you're even here is a part of Crosspoint. The reason that you're in LaGrange, Texas, doing the job you're doing is because God has carefully joined together what he is going to be doing and what he wants to be doing. If God was sovereign in Daniel chapter 1 through 6, he's sovereign in LaGrange in 2022. So God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he hasn't made a mistake by you being here. You are part of his building. And so through him, you Gentiles, that's us, are also being made a part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So we're his family. We're a part of a building. And we're also a part of a body. Now, if you're like me, there's days that you get up and you look in the mirror and you're like, God, if I'm a body, it's, it's, you didn't do a very good job. Right? And I even go to the gym most days, and I'm still like, it's not working. And uh, maybe it's because I lift enough, like I can lift the house, but I eat, lift really heavy burritos. I don't know what it is. But we have a body, and so sometimes we're, di- we're distracted by our physical body. Whenever Christ is talking about his body, and when we come together in a body, again, he doesn't make mistakes, he doesn't make junk, everything is perfection. So when he calls us together into a local body, it's a body in motion, and it has purpose, and it has meaning. And it was as with everything, even when you go to the gym, the reason you go to the gym is to grow, right, and to become stronger. And guess what? If you push yourself hard enough in the gym, there's discomfort and there's pain and there's struggle. And if you push yourself hard enough in the gym, sometimes you need a spotter. That is life. That is us as a body. Is there's going to be moments of pain. If we're growing body, if we're a body in motion, there's going to be moments where we step on something and we're going to tweak an ankle and we're going to have to spend time and look at it and care for it. But we're a body in motion. And what does it look like for a church to be in motion? It means we gather here on Sunday to learn and to rejoice and to glorify in who God is and what he's doing in our life so that on Monday we know that we're moving, that this is a part of our energy, this is a part of the fuel, this is a part of our diet because Monday's coming, Tuesday's coming, Wednesday's coming, Thursday's coming, Friday's coming, and we can't just be living for the weekend. That's why it's important for you to understand that you're a holy priest and that on Monday the meal that we've had together here today maybe gets you some Monday... But you also need to open up the food of God's word and on your own, get some snacks, get some stuff that you're taking in so that you can have the energy to have the ability to power up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday that you can't come to Sunday. Because, listen, we know sometimes you can't be here every single Sunday of the year. We know that. Right. And so then you miss a meal. And what happens if you miss a meal? You get hangry. And there's a lot of hangry Christians. It's one of the reasons I think the church is the way it is. It's because we're not feeding. You're totally dependent on somebody to feed you. And you've got to be able to begin to learn to feed yourself. So one of the things, let me just do a little commercial. We're, we do a class called Discover My Bible. Great class. Every second Sunday of the month. Go begin that process of learning. 
and how you can study for yourself. You are a holy priest. Dig in. So we have a body. And Michelangelo's little Renaissance picture, I did only half of it for the kids just to be safe. But Michelangelo and his people actually took bodies and they studied them and they figured out what would it look like to have the perfect body. It's like the perfect, everything is is perfect length and all that different stuff. Because most of us, we realize that we're, we're kind of crooked. You look in the face and one's like this and one arm's longer than the other one and one's stronger. Like we're, we're a messed up, kind of feels like jumbled up thing. And Michelangelo and his guys are like, what would the perfect body look like? And so I want you to have that image in your mind of God has pieced this together. And it's even though our bodies feel maybe distorted, his image for us is that we are in step together. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. First Corinthians chapter 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. This is why unison is important. If we were always going in different directions, we would be just sitting and not, every, not nothing would be getting done. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves. Some of us are free. Some of us are Yankees. Some of us are Southerners. Some of us are longtime Lagrangers. Some of, time, some of us are from the East Coast. Some of us are from four different countries. But all of us have come together and have been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. I mean, if it was just one part, imagine with me the Christmas story lamp shade leg. How ridiculous that thing looks. That's what a church would look like if we were just one part. Like, oh, hey, that church is the ear. That's awesome. No, a church comes together. Each one of us are here because we have different skills, passions, talents. And the Spirit is moving us to what He has for us to do. Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. Again, the sovereignty of God. He hasn't made a mistake by you being here. It's a matter of you finding your place and how you can live out your gifts and skills and passions. One of the things we talk about here quite a bit is we're for LaGrange. We're for Fayette County. We're for Schulenburg. We're for Weimar. And a big part of that means it's because we're, the scripture tells us love does extravagantly. Again, it gets out of Sunday morning mode and it's Monday mode, Tuesday mode. We are actively doing what God has called us to do. The body in motion. How strange would a body be if it only had one part? Yes. There are many parts, but only one body. And all of us together are Christ's body, and each of us are a part of it. We're working together. We're a family. And yes, there's going to be some fun and some of our dysfunction at times. We're going to have, because we're all from these different places and these different ideas, we're going to have some struggles. We're going to have some disagreements. But when we sit down at the table together to sup together, we will not leave the table until we understand that we are unified around the promise and the purpose and the person of Jesus Christ. So that we can be the body in motion. And that even though we may not see eye to eye on some of the different things that are trivial things, the most important thing, the foundation, the cornerstone of our life and our faith and us doing church together is because of the person of Jesus Christ. And we'll find unity in that. In that we'll find forgiveness. And in that we'll find cooperation and not competition. And in that we'll find sharing of resources and sharing of story. So that the church 
will be the church in such a way that people are saying, I don't know what's going on over there. But I've counted the cost and I want to be a part of something like that. Listen, the Kiwanis Club and the Lions Club and all those clubs do great things. But that's not the church. The church is wholly different. Once you're in, you're in or should be around the unity of Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for what you've given us in Christ. The fact that you've adopted us, that you have called us by name and chosen us and plucked us out of slavery, you've plucked us out of dysfunction, you've plucked us out of of a previous way of life and a different name. And Father, you've given us your name and everything that comes with it. Your inheritance, including eternal life, including life forever with our brother Christ. Father, I pray that if we are in a place and we're like, man, I, I, I need to be a part of something like that. I need to be a part of a family that's like that. I need to be a part of a building that's not shaking when the winds come, but that stands strong, not of their own wisdom, but of, because it's built on the foundation and the truth of Christ. And that, Father, even in those moments when I'm walking and I step on something and I tweak an ankle or there's something in my body that's an annoying, that's a reminder of the fact that you are growing me and changing me and transforming me, even with the little broken pinky toes of life, that those things remind me that every part of your body are significant. Everything and everyone matters to be a part of what you are doing and bringing your kingdom to the ends of the earth. May you be made famous through this little bitty church here called Crosspoint as we strive to be a family, as we strive to be a building, as we strive to be a body that's in pursuit of you. May we point people to Jesus this week. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.